Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Uh, we're going to this morning as we uh, come to our scripture fed, spirit led prayer, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. I'm going to read it from here. Uh, it says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. This is, again, a wonderful promise of God. Now, it doesn't mean that no weapon will hurt you. You know, someone shoots you, it's going to hurt. It may kill you. You know, someone beats you in the leg with a baseball bat, you're not going to be like, I'm Iron Man, I can't be. No, you're going to get hurt. But it's not going to prevail against you. Because listen, for the child of God, what, what can they threaten us with? If they do kill us, we get heaven. You know, so, oh, oh, they killed me. I get to wake up and see Jesus face to face and all my worries are gone. That's not prevailing. That's, that's helping us win. No tongue. And I love what it says. It says, uh, every tongue shall rise against thee in judgment. Thou shalt condemn. Talking about God, the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Uh, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. It reminds me of Job when, uh, of course, Job is being accused by his friends uh, of sinning. And they just keep coming to him and say, man, you're, you're, God's judged you so severely. You must have some sin in your life. And Job simply says, my, my record's in heaven, and my, my servant, my, my Lord's on high. Because my, I, I know, God knows who I am. God knows my heart with him. And listen, on this earth, people are going to talk bad about you. Especially if you're doing anything for God. If you don't want people to talk bad about you, don't do anything for the Lord. Live for yourself. Don't, don't serve anybody. Don't try to do anything. Just keep to yourself and say, no one's going to talk about me. No, I'll talk about you. Uh, but no one else is going to talk bad about you. But if you try to serve God, you try to be good, for, you try to glorify him, people are going to talk bad about you. People are going to criticize you. They're going to uh, be offended by what you do and what you say. But God says, don't worry about what they say because I know your heart. I know your intentions. And the greatest thing he says is, and your inheritance is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not because of our goodness, not because of our worth, but because Jesus died on the cross in our place took our sin, was buried and rose again three days later to give us the righteousness of God. It's a wonderful promise God has given us. So morning, let's thank God for that wonderful promise as we open up the service in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you so much that, Lord, as you've said multiple times throughout Scripture, Lord, if, if we, if you are on our side, if God is for us, who could be against us? If God is our shield, then what weapon formed of man can, can really prevail against us? Lord, we know we're going to hurt. We know we're going to go through trials. We know we're going to go through tribulations. But God, we also know that no matter what we face, you are there with us, fighting for us, protecting us. Lord, and our, your righteousness is on our account because you died for us. God, and we praise you and we thank you for that. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would take complete control of the service this morning. Lord, as we, Lord, begin to continue to go through the book of Acts, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every person here. Those who are watching on Facebook, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them uh, through the preaching and the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Speak through me, God. Lord, help me to say what I should say. Help me to say what needs to be said and help me not to say what I should not say. But Lord, help everything that's said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our children's church uh, at this time. And so children's church workers and uh, children, you can go ahead and be just, that's right, get out. Uh, get out. And um, as a special, special Mother's Day gift, uh, you don't got to pick them, but we'll keep them all day uh, for you. So no, we really will not. So don't take me on that. I was lying. We are not keeping your kids. Uh, because if it was Mother's Day, I'd have to keep them, and none of us want that, I promise you. Uh, but turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to start looking at Acts chapter number 8 
this morning, Acts chapter number 8. And as we, uh, we're continuing through the book of Acts, I'm, I'm really trying to, I, I want to jump right in. Uh, I don't want to spend so much time on kind of review and let us know where we are because uh, we were here last week and we kind of jumped back into it and got you, you know, let you know where we are uh, in the book of Acts. But as we continue uh, through Acts, the story we're going to look at this morning, it really shows us how the church should do evangelism, how the church is to reach the lost with the gospel. So instead of really reading the story and reading a passage and then later on having a few points, we're going to kind of go through it verse by verse. And I really want to uh, show you some incredible truth that we see in this story that applies to us today. So let's start reading chapter 8, verse number 1. Bible says, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Now, that's talking about the death of Stephen. We saw last week in Acts chapter 7 that Stephen is the first Christian martyr. He's a deacon who was, set, uh, who was put in authority by the apostles to help with the ministry of the church. And because of his work and because of his service and him getting people saved, the Pharisees and Sadducees bring him before them and accuse him of being a heretic. And, of course, they, they take him out and stone him. And remember last week it said, and Saul was the one who held the people's coats. But it goes further here. It tells us that Saul was consenting to his death. And that word consenting uh, in the Greek, it doesn't mean he just agreed to it. It means he set it up. Stephen was stoned to death. Stephen was murdered because of Saul. Saul got everything in motion. Saul got the, got the crowd riled up. Saul was the one that encouraged them to stone him. So, and Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. So again, this passage takes up right after the stoning of Stephen. And the stoning of Stephen, the martyrdom of Stephen, had an incredible impact, not just on the church, but on the entire community. People who were not part of the church... The, mainly the Jewish religious leaders and the faithful Jewish uh, followers, they really, it, it sparked incredible outbreak of violence against the church. They were, they were being arrested. They were being beaten in the streets. They were being murdered and hunted because of their faith in Christ. So the entire city turned against the church at Jerusalem. And it was no longer safe to be an outspoken believer. Now, beforehand, it wasn't really that, that, that safe. I mean, you would get some, some persecution. Maybe the Pharisees would threaten you. But now, not only Stephen, but people are being arrested. People are being thrown in prison. People are being murdered because of their faith in Jesus. And Saul, uh, Stephen's death, it really affected Saul. Saul was the leader of the execution. He was the one that kind of got everything going. He kind of orchestrated the entire thing where Stephen would be accused and Stephen would be stoned to death and Stephen would be executed. So he was the one who got the whole thing going. But remember, he also witnessed the whole thing. He never threw a stone. He was holding everyone's coats. He was... Part of it, he was a leader of it, but he didn't actively participate in the stoning, but he witnessed Stephen's death. He saw Stephen's incredible faith to Jesus, even in extreme persecution. He saw the grace of Stephen. As Stephen is being stoned to death, he witnessed Stephen say, Lord, don't lay this sin on their charge. He saw the glory on Stephen's face as Stephen looked up into heaven and said, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He saw all of that and it deeply affected him. It convicted 
Saul. Now, people respond differently to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I've seen people, when the Holy Spirit convicts them, break down and cry. Can't wait to come forward and confess sins or get right with God or get right with people. And I've also seen some people who are convicted by the Holy Spirit, lost people and saved people. When the Holy Spirit convicts them, they get angry. They lash out. Saved people are the worst because when the Holy Spirit convicts them and they're not ready to repent and get right with God, they kind of go overboard in their sin to try to shut up the Holy Spirit. And, try to, and the Bible says eventually they can get a seared conscience. But here's Saul. He's not saved. He's a lost man, but the Holy Spirit's working on his heart. And he sees Stephen's death. He's the leader in Stephen's death. And he saw Stephen's faith and he saw Stephen's grace and it deeply convicted him. So to try to get over that conviction... He just works even harder to stop the church. He increases his attacks on the church. It says, as for Saul, he made havoc in the church. Saul becomes the greatest opponent, not only to the church, but he's going into homes, he's going into businesses, he is tracking down believers, he's arresting them, he's having more people stoned, he's just trying to do anything to shut up the Holy Spirit conviction in his heart. Then look at verse number 4. Therefore, <coughs> they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto him. And the people, with one accord, gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, for unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Now remember, Philip's another deacon we met in Acts chapter 6. Philip's not an apostle. He's not a teacher. He's not a, a what we would consider a ministry leader in the church. He's a layman who the apostles kind of ordained to take care of the ministry of the church, to kind of really go out and help serve widows and, and take care of some of the, the needs in the church so that the apostles could be left to prayer and Bible study and preaching and teaching. So Philip is one of the deacons that we meet uh, in Acts chapter 6 along with, with Stephen. Now, like Stephen, he's a, he's a layman. But the persecution scatters the church, including the deacons. And so the church, because of the persecution they're facing in Jerusalem, they leave Jerusalem and they go throughout the area preaching the gospel. Which is why God allowed the persecution in the first place. Remember when Jesus was telling the apostles in Acts chapter 1 that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 1 eight, he says, But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So he says, You're going to stay here. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. And then you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the world. So Jesus, before he ascended, told the apostles, said, Look, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit power. But once you receive the Holy Spirit power... Your job is to start the gospel spreading in Jerusalem, but then move out. Go to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Don't just stay in Jerusalem working. And they had received the Holy Spirit, but they stayed in Jerusalem. And they were doing great things in Jerusalem. The church was growing. People in the community, their needs were getting met. They were doing incredible things, but they were only doing it in Jerusalem. They were not fully obeying the command of God. So God allows this persecution to come and to get the church to obey, and so they finally leave Jerusalem. And, G and Philip, he goes to Samaria, and he preaches to them, and the Bible says a great revival breaks out. People are getting saved, people are getting healed, joy is coming to the city, a great revival work is being done. 
So this first part, we're going to look at the rest of it, of, of, look a little bit more in Acts chapter 8, but this first part of this story, Philip's ministry to Samaria, it gives us a pattern that we as believers in 2022 should follow to continue to spread the gospel, to continue to see people saved. And here's the pattern. I'm going to throw it up on the screen here. Evangelism is a group of ordinary Christians living intentionally in a city to bring joy to it through word and deed. That's evangelism. That's how we are to spread the gospel. See, the gospel is not meant to be spread just by me preaching the gospel and hoping people come in and hear or hoping people click on a podcast or hoping people come across a Facebook post. That, now, is that part of spreading the gospel? Yes, it is my responsibility that when I preach, to preach the gospel. But it's also your responsibility to preach the gospel, to spread the word. Now, I don't, I don't mean go out and, you know, everybody pick a street corner and start pre. If that's what God lays on your heart, do it. I've seen some of those people, some of them cray-cray, but if that's what God wants you to do, you go do that. But evangelism is a group of ordinary believers living intentionally to bring joy to a city. So let's break down the definition. First, I want to look at the phrase, ordinary Christians. Luke points out, in Acts chapter 8, the first time the gospel leaves Jerusalem, the first time the gospel leaves the hub of where everything started, it wasn't carried by apostles. They stayed. Look at Acts chapter 1 again. And they were all scattered abroad. Um, <clears throat> sorry, verse number 1. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The whole church was scattered, but the apostles didn't go. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Why does Luke include that detail? Remember, he's one of the, he's one of the apostles. He's one of the ones that stayed. He doesn't tell us what they did while they stayed. He just tells us that they stayed. So the only reason to include that detail was for us to be able to focus on those who left and what they did. The ordinary, and I hate using that term, ordinary, there are no ordinary Christians. We kind of have that idea in Christianity, it's like, oh, well, you know, he's the pastor, I'm just a church member, so it's his responsibility to, you know, teach me the Word of God, and it is, and it's his responsibility to preach the gospel and get people saved, and it is mine, but it's also yours. There are no ordinary Christians. You have the same Holy Spirit of God that I have. I have the same Holy Spirit of God that the Apostle Paul had, that Philip had, that every believer throughout history has had. There are no ordinary... Now, we all have different callings from God. I'm called to publicly get up and lead a church and proclaim the gospel, but you are also called to proclaim the gospel where God's placed you. So I hate using that term, ordinary Christian. So I don't want you to think when I'm saying ordinary Christian, like, you're ordinary, I'm extraordinary. No, I'm not. I am way less than extraordinary. I'm just one sinner trying to tell another sinner how to find Jesus. And that's what all of us are. So I hate using that term. But anyway, an ordinary Christian, they carried the gospel outside of Jerusalem. So the first time it was carried out, it wasn't carried out by the apostles or people you think of when you think of a leader. The pastors stayed behind. The layman went out and took the gospel outside of the city of Jerusalem. This is the Holy Spirit's message as to how the Great Commission will be accomplished. The church does not grow through the preaching of a few anointed individuals. The church grows when spirit-filled believers testify of the gospel in the streets where God has placed them. See, God has you placed in places I could never get in to preach. Look, 
Some of you work in businesses or you work whatever. You, you all have jobs or you used to have jobs, but whatever. You know, for instance, Reggie works for Virginia Tech. I don't hold that against him uh, because I know that's just a sin he hasn't yet overcome. I say that looking at, at Zach's Virginia Tech shirt. Pray for him as well. Uh, but he works for Virginia Tech. I cannot go to his workplace, come up in the break room and start preaching. I could, but it's not going to end well for me, is it? No. I'm going I'm to get maybe arrested. You know, probably that's the worst thing that has happened to me. I hope I don't get shot. You never know in these days, though. But I can't go. You know, Kim, she works for her. I can't go to the bank and start preaching. You're, you're working at a school. I can't go into school and start preaching. I can't do that. I can't do that. But you know who God placed in those areas? You. To preach the gospel. Now, again, I'm going to get into I don't want you to go into work tomorrow open up your King James Bible and say, the preacher told me to preach to y'all, so shut up. Don't call me tomorrow and say, preacher, I got fired. It ain't my fault. I'm not telling you to do that. All right? If you do that and God lays on your heart and you get fired, take it up with God, don't take it up with me. But God has placed you where you are through a divine call to share the gospel with the lost people in your life. Look, the city you live in. How many of y'all live in Roanoke City? The city of Roanoke. All right, how many of y'all live in Roanoke County? All right, how many live in Salem? How many of y'all live somewhere else? You know, why you're, you know why you're there? That's your city. God has given you that place to share the gospel. Your neighborhood. Look, I live, in, I live in, on view on Pilot Boulevard in, in Cave Spring. You know why God gave me that house? So I can reach my neighborhood with Christ. You know why God's put you where, you're, where you live? So you can reach your neighborhood for Jesus. You know why you work where you work? Because I got, I got great benefits and good... No! You have the job God's given you so you can share the gospel where God has placed you. You know what? Some of you... So we still got some students here. You know why you, you go to the school you go to? Because that's where your parents live? No! So you can take the gospel to your school. Because I can't go to your school and preach. I'm going to get arrested if I do it. But God put you there. Where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where you interact with the community, that is your mission field. And look, God may move you from place to place or job to job or neighborhood to neighborhood through regular circumstances of life. He moved the first believers through persecution. But His purpose of moving them and his purpose of moving you a job and moving you a neighborhood and moving you a school. The purpose is to spread the gospel. See, as a child of God, you have the greatest tool in the world for being used by God to spread the gospel. What is that? You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. God gave, yeah, God gave you the Holy Spirit not just to you know, keep you on the straight and narrow and convict you when you sin, that's part of it. He gave you the Holy Spirit, which means, listen, here's what the Holy Spirit power means. You have the power of God inside of you. He gave that to you to use you to build His kingdom. When a child of God is yielded to the Spirit of God, they can accomplish great things. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. I, I don't, I can't, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know, I don't know the Romans Road. I didn't go to Bible college. Listen, I went to Bible college. I'd have been better off not. I spent the last 11 years in the ministry unlearning all the garbage I learned in Bible college. So, no, I didn't go to Bible college. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You know, the apostles never went to Bible college. Stephen never went to Bible college. Philip never went to Bible college. And they did pretty good. The Holy Spirit inside of you will lead you and tell you what to say. Jesus said that when you're talking to someone about Him and you don't know what to say, it's okay because the Spirit of God will speak through you. He said in Matthew 10, 20, For it is not you who speaks but the Spirit of your Father who speaks through you. 
When you don't know what to say, allow the Spirit to speak through you. That's why before I, before I preach, I always say, Lord, help me to say what needs to be said. Help me not to say what I shouldn't say. You know why? Because if I'm just speaking to myself, I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. I'm going to let something slip that I shouldn't say. going to offend some of you. Say, we well, talk about hokies all the time. That's okay. God doesn't love them anyway. So, you know, that's not one of the things I should avoid talking about. But, you know, you can think, oh, well, you know, so I, I allow God to speak through me. And you can too. You can say, God... I want to talk to my neighbor about it, and I don't know how to do it, Lord. I, don't, I just don't want to walk up and say, you know, Romans 3.10 says you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says you're going to burn in hell. I don't want to do that, God. Lord, how can I share the gospel with them and allow God to speak through you as you share the gospel? The same power that Jesus had. The same power the apostles had. The same power the first believers had you have in you. So evangelism is just a group of ordinary Christians taking the word. Here's the second phrase I want to look at. Through word and deed. It's the last part of the phrase. Through word and deed. Evangelism is a group of ordinary Christians living intentionally in a city to bring joy to it through word and deed. Philip's ministry wasn't just a preaching ministry. The Bible says that they, they were saved because they, they heard the words he spoke, but they saw the things he did. They heard his message, and they saw the signs he did, and that caused them to believe the gospel. The lame were healed. Demons were cast out. It was spiritual and physical deliverance. He didn't just preach the word, which was important. He had to preach the word. He couldn't just go there and be a nice guy and hope people get saved by being a nice guy. That's lifestyle evangelism. That don't work. You gotta be a, look, you've got to be a good person. Because no one's going to hear your words if you're a jerk. Simple as that. i got a, I got a bunch of my neighbors. I've talked to a bunch of my neighbors. I like a bunch of my neighbors. The one right next to me, she's a jerk. She don't like nobody. Which is fine because we don't like her either. But I remember the, she, they bought, she bought the house next to us. And before she moved in, she put in a privacy fence to avoid us. Say, so how do you know it's just to avoid you? Because she only put it on one side of her property. What's that tell you? When someone puts up a privacy fence just to block you, they don't block, they're just blocking you. So obviously she don't like us. That's fine. We don't like her. No one likes her. She never gets visitors. She's a jerk. She's never going to come to me and try to convince me of anything because I'm not going to listen to her because she's a jerk. So, yes, you've got to be a nice person. You've got to be gentle and loving and share this. But you also got to preach the word. So it wasn't just preaching the word. He also performed, performed miracles. Now, his miracles, miracles in Bible, we, we said this before. The miracles in the Bible are meant to point to something. They never point to the person performing the miracle. They point to the gospel. Miracles in the Bible give a tangible expression of Jesus' kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of healing, of sight, and of abundance. It's not a kingdom of magic tricks. See, miracles didn't show Jesus' power. They showed the redemptive purpose of his life, death, and resurrection. They pointed to what his entire ministry was meant to do. He was meant to redeem mankind. See, God doesn't use miracles today but to show the redemptive power of his kingdom, but he does use his people living a Christ-honoring life in their kingdom to show the gospel to a lost and dying world. Because again, before you can share the gospel with someone, they've got to see the gospel in you. They've got to see the gospel in you and see that there's something different about you so you can share the gospel with them. Your deeds are kindness, grace, love, and respect. And your deeds that you do to treat people right and to love people Open their hearts up to hearing your words. Third phrase I want to look at is to bring 
joy. Evangelism is a group of ordinary Christians living intentionally in a city to bring joy to it. Is there joy in your neighborhood because you're there? Or are you like my neighbor who puts up a privacy fence on one side, you're the jerk? Are people thinking you're the jerk? Or is there joy in your, is there joy in your family because you're in it? Is there joy in your workplace because you're in it? And here's, let's go broader. Is there joy in the city of Roanoke because New Grace Baptist Church is in it? Does, it, does Roanoke really even care? I know there are a few. People outside this church, there's, a, there's some families we help that are outside this church that would be affected by it, but does the whole city really, do we bring joy to the city because we're there? See, we need to ask God to show us how we can bring joy to where he has placed you. And this is part of living out the word and deed. This is part of the deeds, showing how God can help you. Say, Go to God and say, God, how can I be a blessing to my neighbors and live out the gospel with my neighbors in a way that helps them and brings joy to them? And I promise you, God will bring it to your mind how you can bring joy to where he's placed you. Look, in my neighborhood, again, I like all my neighbors, but that one lady. Uh, but there's this one, there's this, this one woman uh, two doors down from me. Uh, she's, a, she's a widow. She's a young widow. She's in her, in her probably uh, late 20s, early 30s. But her husband died a couple years ago, right after, during COVID, right after she had a baby. So she's a, a young, widowed mother. She's by herself. And she has someone who comes in and mows her yard, but they're not very consistent. And so whenever I'm mowing my yard, or I mow my yard and I mow my other neighbor's yard, I mow hers too. Whenever I'm mowing her yard and I notice that her yard's overgrown, I'll mow it for her. I never tell her. I never ask her. I never go back and say, hey, I mowed your grass. You want to thank me? Why? Because that's, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just... now. This time, I mowed it for this week, and then I didn't know who it was, but her brother came by, and he was trimming up and doing some work in the backyard, not only to the front yard, because I can't get my mower in the back, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not that much of a Christian, good Christian to you know, push that thing. So I, you know, I'll do what I can, but you know, he was in the back, and I thought it was the lawn guy. And I wanted to go and tell him, hey, I didn't, I didn't cut the grass to steal your job from you. I'm not trying to take work. You can tell her you did it. I don't care. I just saw it need to be done, so I did it. Hope you're not offended by it, but it was her brother. And he's like, oh, I was just here to cut some, some bushes down. No big deal. Thank you for that. Because, you know, anyway. And so she thanked me a couple days later. But that's not why I did I didn't do it to, to try to get a claim. I did it to show her the love of Jesus. Because you know what I did yesterday? I went by her house. We have Mother's Day gifts we're giving away. I took a Mother's Day gift with me. I took an invitation and a gospel track. So, hey, happy Mother's Day. We'd love for you to join us. If you need anything, I gave her my card. If you need anything, just let me know. I'm loving her through word and deed. Our other neighbor across the street, her, she, she's going through some pretty severe stuff with her, her husband. He's not there anymore. This week, I noticed she was, her and her mom were trying to move a huge couch into their house. And so I just walked over and said, let me help you. And I helped move her couch in to, to love her indeed. Because yesterday, April took a Mother's Day gift and a gospel track and invitation to her. Said, hey, we just want to invite you to our church. Let you know we love you. We're here for you. We know you're going through a tough time. But hey, anything we can do to help you, we want to be a blessing to you. What, say, what am I doing? I'm trying to love them through word and deed. I'm trying to bring joy to them. So they know there's a group of believers who live in their neighborhood there aren't jerks, because listen, a lot of people think Christians are hateful, bigoted, mean-spirited people. Why do they think that? Because some believers are hateful, bigoted, mean-spirited people. Because there are some Christians who are just jerks. And it's been that way for years. So we need to show the world, hey, we're a group of believers who we, we're not. We love you. We're here for you. We're going to help you any way we can. We're going to try to bring joy to where God has placed us. So how can you do it? Again, ask someone, ask God how, to, how you can help me bring joy to your neighbor. Or look, 
You can be part of Restoring Hope Roanoke. You can help the Women's Center. Look, we've all, every one of us has heard the news about the leaked document with Roe v. Wade being overturned. Don't know if it's going to happen or not because the Senate's got a law in place to, they're trying to get passed to make it where it can't be overturned, although filibusters a thing. So we don't know what's going to happen before June. I do know the Women's Center called me this week and said if Roe is overturned, we're going to have some incredible needs. We'll let you know what those needs are. But they're going to need more funding. They're going to need more volunteers. That's the way we can help. We can be a blessing to our community. Help with the community cupboard, the community closet. But there's another note I want to look at here. Philip, now remember, Philip is a Jew, right? He's Jewish. He went to Samaria. Why is that important? Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. Look, this is the second chapter in a row where we see a racial issue come up. That's, an issue, that's, some, that's something we've got to deal with here. Say, why are we focused on it? Because God focused on it. We're going to see it next week too. Don't blame me, blame Jesus. But the Assyrians and the Jews had had conflict for over a thousand years. After the division of the kingdom after the civil war, after the death of, of Solomon and the, the kingdom breaks up into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the Assyrians came into the northern kingdom and a lot of them married the Jews in the northern kingdom. They had kids with them. Then intentionally, they sent their offspring, half Jewish, half Assyrian, into the area of Samaria to populate the region. Why? Because the Jewish people were very into racial purity. They thought if you're not 100% Jew, you, they, they really they thought you were worthless and adult. It was so bad that a, if a Samaritan sat on a park bench, they didn't have them, I'm using that as an example, Samaritan sits on a wall, a Jewish person wouldn't touch that wall. They thought they were filthy and dirty and worthless. Jews would go a day out of their way to avoid going through Samaria. And look, the Samaritans weren't great either. Samaritans were, were pretty terrible uh, to the Jews as well. The, the Samaritans built their own temple and said it was the true temple. So they said, your temple is a false temple, we have the true temple. You know, this, this one, some of it's bad, this is funny. Before Passover, the Samaritans would go to Jerusalem and release pigs into the temple. Just to be mean. They'd also, you know, rob and murder people on the way to the temple who had gifts to steal them. So that wasn't so funny. But they paid package goats. They were, hey, and look, the Jews, they, they destroyed the fake temple of the Samaritans. It was a, it was a bloody violent feud that had gone on for about a thousand years. Now you have Philip, a Jew, going to the Samaritans. And when it says, when they believed, it brought much joy to the city. The gospel brings unity that overcomes years of hurt and mistrust in any area. And listen, if our culture needs anything today, not just the church, I'm talking America. If our culture needs anything, it needs unity. We are divided over everything. Political ideology, moral ideology, religion. We are so divided, it is ridiculous. What's going to bring unity to our culture? The gospel. I was reading an article this week about, about race, and a sociologist talking about race said this. He says, we know how to forcibly integrate society. We know how to pass laws to guarantee fairness. What we haven't been able to do is make races and cultures love and embrace each other. See, what politics can't do, the gospel does. Because the gospel shows us no matter what we have different, we all have one common problem. And it's sin. 
And no matter who we are or how we were raised or what our culture is or what our race is, no matter what's different about us, we have one problem and only one solution. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to help fix our problem. So these people, they chose to put aside their cultural differences and accept the gospel, and it brought joy to everybody. But I want to quickly keep going because I'm running a little bit late, and I promised you I wouldn't, and I lied to you again. Uh, but there's also some warnings here. So look at chapter 8, verse number 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all had, uh, gave heed from the least uh, to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because of that long time he had bewitched them with sorcery. So there's this, there's this self-proclaimed magic man in the area, and he got noticed by people. Now, his magic, which doesn't exist, magic only exists in Harry Potter novels, all right? Anytime you watch, you know, magic show, it's not magic. It's illusion. It's sleight of hand. It's trickery. And that's what this guy was doing. He was using scientific knowledge and superstition to kind of trick people. It's an equivalent to a palm reader or a fortune teller. You know, you go to a fortune teller, and all they, they ask general questions to get you to say, you know, oh, I feel like there's, there's a, a woman in your life who's causing a lot of problems. No, oh, well, a man. Oh, yeah, there's my dad. Yeah, so it's like they get you to, it's fake, it's not real, it's not magic. That's what this guy was doing. And so uh, he, he didn't have any, now he may have had real power, because in Acts chapter 13, Paul talks about a man who had power through demonic Power, so he may have had, he wasn't from God, but he may have had something. But anyway, he's tricking people. But look at verse number 12. <clears throat> but when they believed uh, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon, the, the sorcerer, the witch guy, he himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which we're done. And so something was different about Philip. He, what Philip's doing is not tricks. It's true miracles. And so people are getting saved because of Philip's ministry. And they pointed to a, a crucified Savior. And this guy, Simon, he even gets saved. And look at verse number 14. Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard of Samaria, had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they had were come down, prayed for them, that they might receive uh, the Holy Ghost, for as yet, had been, for as yet he was fallen on none of them, uh, only they that were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now real quick, why didn't the Holy Spirit indwell them immediately like he did every other believer? It's the only time since Pentecost, that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit wasn't immediate upon those who believed. And here's what I believe. I can't prove this biblically. This is what I think. Uh, so I'm telling you right now, this is my opinion. But I think that after years of hostility, that God wanted to show them that they were included in the family of God. So the apostles, remember the guys who stayed back at Jerusalem? who stayed there, they hear about this great work in Samaria. And so these Jewish apostles leave Jerusalem to go to an area that they have hated their entire life, to lay their hands on people they have hated their entire life, to show that they were included in the family of God. So I think because of the hostility, God wanted the apostles to personally go and welcome them. Verse number 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, uh, Thou money perish with thee, because thou hast thought there was a gift of God that may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor uh, lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity." Then answered Simon and said, Pray you to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. So, again, in those days, 
magicians would buy each other secrets. So if you were a magician and you saw another charlatan do a great trick that got a lot of people, you know, that tricked a lot of people and got you a lot of money, you would go to him and say, hey, I'll give you some money and you show me how to do that. That's what Simon thinks is going on. He thinks, oh, well, they're, they're laying their hands on people and the Holy Spirit's coming down and they're healed. Maybe they'll pay, I can pay them and they'll show me how to do it. How to do it. He didn't realize it was, the pow, it was the power of the Spirit in them. He thought it was a trick that he could learn to make money. So here's the warning. Simon, the Bible tells us, Simon believed. Simon was baptized. Simon was discipled. He continued traveling with Philip and learning from Philip. But Simon wasn't a true disciple of God. He, he, there's, you know, even with great preaching, false conversions can happen. Simon did all the right things. He believed. He was baptized. He began to be discipled by Philip. But he wasn't a real disciple. See, I think Simon truly believed. I don't think he made this. I think he truly, I think he was convinced that Jesus Christ had died for his sins. But here's the problem that he had and a lot of false converts had. He believed in Jesus, but he didn't believe in a Jesus only gospel. He believed in a Jesus and gospel. Jesus and his magic his ability to make money off of it. Some, a lot of belief, people have the same uh, you know, belief today, have the same problem today. I believe Jesus died for me. I'll give control to him of some areas of my life, but I'm still going to keep the right to live my life the way I want to in other areas. Look, you cannot be mostly committed to Jesus. If you are 99% committed to Jesus, you say, there's 99% of my life is totally committed to Jesus. Sounds great, but that means you're 1% a rebel. That 1% is pretty severe. You can't, you know, okay, say you're, you're a married man. Of the 100% of the 100 women I interact with that aren't my wife, I only have sex with one of them. You think April's going to be happy with that? Honey, I had interactions with with 100 women. I only slept with one of them. Aren't you proud of me? No. She's going to kill me. And she should. Because I'm 99% faithful to you, honey, is 1% unfaithful. And that's not good. That's not how we should look at it. So you are either giving Jesus total control of your life or you're giving him no control. Maybe you're looking at Jesus and good works. And Jesus or areas, I've got Jesus as my Savior, but I've also got these areas of my life he can't touch. You know, true repentance to the gospel demands everything. Death to your entire self to him. Jesus said, take up the cross. Hate your father and mother. Now, he doesn't mean literal hate. But what Jesus is saying here and what Paul, the Bible is teaching us here is that Jesus, we should have no limits on how Jesus can control our life, on what areas he can have impact on. We're to go to him and say, God, you have all of it. Whatever area it is, you have all of it. He is warning us to make sure that we are true disciples, that we are totally surrendered to him. But he's also warning us to make sure that the spotlight's not on us, but it's on Jesus. See, Simon believes the power of God comes from his ability to buy it, and it exists for him. He wants to be the center of attention, not the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. See, the true gospel is found in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Paul says, look, the gospel gives you no reason to brag about you because you ain't nothing. You are a dirty, rotten, hell-bound sinner 
that Jesus died for, took your sin for, and you accepted his gift of salvation, and he made you righteous, so you got no reason to brag about you. The only person you can brag about is God. And that's what our life should be. Lord, not, hey, you know what, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I'm also a pretty good guy. No, we're to show, hey, everything I am and everything I have and any good in me is not because of me. It's all because of him and me. Because left to myself, I'm wicked. You know, this whole story is about the gospel going into a city and changing people and changing the community. Look at how it ends in verse number 25. <clears throat> and they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritan. The gospel continues to go forward. The gospel is unstoppable. Why? Because a group of believers were dedicated to the Lord and committed to the Lord and surrendered to the Spirit of God in them. So what's that mean for us today? First of all, Make sure you truly understand the gospel. Make sure you are a true disciple of Christ. You're not, you're not saved because of Jesus and anything. And look, if you're like, well, I'm saved and Jesus has this area, but I'm keeping all this to myself, you need to check your heart. That's a warning that God gives us. Check and make sure you are a true disciple. Not have you been baptized. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior and yielded to Him? But also, has the gospel so consumed you that you bring joy through word and deed to those around you? Have you embraced the Spirit of God in you and allowed Him to work through you to bring the gospel to your community? Because that's why God placed you where you're at. That's why you're in your neighborhood. That's why you're in your school. That's why you're in your workplace. That's why you're in your family. To take the gospel where you are. That's how the gospel goes forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.